You know, life um, is full of choices. We make choices every day. What to wear. How many of you got up this morning and picked out something to wear? Or maybe your wife picked it out for you. But somebody chose something for you to wear. You most likely didn't just jump out of bed and say, I'm just going to put whatever one I find. You chose what to put on. You found something. We, we choose what to do. We choose whether we're going to go to work or not go to work. We choose whether we're going to watch a program on TV or not watch a program on TV. We choose whether we're going to read a book or not read a book. We're going to choose which book to read. Choices are all around us. And our job as believers is to seek to make the right choices in a world that offers us so many choices that are wrong. That's the topic John deals with today as we continue in our series, That Thing You Do, Journeying Through Life with Jesus. John, specifically this morning, deals with what makes a choice wrong. You know, we, we live in a world that tells us that the lines are blurred. That choices don't necessarily have to be good, necessarily have to be bad. And we, we, we live in a world of complexity for most people on, on what makes a choice right or wrong. But if we read God's Word, God's pretty clear about right and wrong and what makes right and wrong. And so we pick up this morning right where we left off before, um, there in 1 John chapter 2. And we're only going to read again three verses here, verses 15 through 17. And there it says, Do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's lifestyle is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away. But the one who does God's will remains forever. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now. We thank you. We praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time. Father, use it for your glory. Father, use me as a vessel. The words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We ask all these things in your son Jesus and for his sake and all God's people say. Amen. Amen. John just comes right out and says it. You cannot love the world and love God. The interesting thing about the word, the, the, the word love here and, and the way it's used is it's talking about taking a fancy to. You cannot take a fancy to the world. The interesting thing to me about that is I feel like God created our world for it to for us to take a fancy to it. That's how God created the world. He created the world with all its with all its wonder, with all its might with everything and so and I've been in so many different places and I've seen so many different things and there's beauty in all I remember being in West Texas and, and I would hear people that were out there who, who were from either you know way far back east or just east Texas and they'd be like oh there's no trees there's nothing out here it's nothing but desert and oh and those stupid windmills over there I can't stand looking at those windmills and everything's just so ugly but then you would be out there at sunset and the sky would light up with the most, it was the most amazing purples and reds and oranges and, 
It was just this painting that God had painted across the sky. Desert land that nobody wanted to be at, but God had done something miraculous there. Even in its destructive nature, you, you want to follow me on Facebook, you saw my struggles this week with water. You know, praise God for the rain. Praise God for deacons who will jump in their tractor and come over and help me so my house doesn't float away. Uh, you know. Came up here and in one hour's time, I went from having a, uh, what's that thing called? A culvert entrance that actually flowed to it sticking up in the air and water just going out into my yard. So, you know, one hour's time, the destructive force of water, and even that's gone. The awesome power that's there. Look at the Grand Canyon. Look at the things that God did. Even here in Texas, go up to, go up to Paladuro and see what God did there. And God made this world. And so when he says you cannot love the world, you cannot take a fancy to the world and love God, there's something more here to that. It's not simply, oh, I can't like the things. Because God, John goes so far as to say, loving the world means you don't love the Father. The truth is love is good, but the misuse of love is destructive. God created love. God in His Word is described as love. It's one of His main attributes. It is something that describes Him. And so we are shown love from God. So love in itself must be good. The problem becomes with the misuse of love. And when we begin to put those things that God created in front of the Creator. And so as, as John talks here, he says... Do not love the world or the thing that belongs to the world. Because if you love the world, the love for the Father is not in you. What? But, but I love the sunsets, okay? But here's the deal. He goes on to define it. He doesn't stop there. If he stopped there with just that verse, it would be a very depressing book, right? Oh, I can't like the things that are in the world, but God created the world. He goes on to describe what it is that he's talking about when he says world here. He's not talking about people. He's not even talking about creation. He's talking about the misuse of that creation, the misuse of those things. Because he goes on to say, for everything that belongs to the world, and then he defines those things with three attributes. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of one's lifestyle. Now this is going to be a little bit of a repeat, I feel like, because about a year and a half ago, we preached on this same text. But we're not going to skip it because we're in the middle of this series. So we're going to hear it again, and that's okay. Because the first thing is the lust of the flesh. That's this idea of does it make me feel good. Fleshly lust is about physical pleasure that does not honor God. That's fleshly lust. Now, of course, our minds go right to one thing in this culture. And it's easy to do because you turn on the TV and whether it's a beer commercial or whether it's your favorite show, you're going to have a lot of sexual relationships. There's lots of things going on there. And so, of course, we go there to this idea of physical relationships. But the lust of the flesh is a lot more than physical relationships. It can be food. It can be exercise. It can be work. It can be church service. Anything 
that gives a physical pleasure that leads you away from God is the lust of the flesh. Anything. <clears throat> That's an uncomfortable truth. Because there are things that, that we partake in that sometimes get in the way of our relationship with God. Things that make us feel good. Things that, things that we want to be a part of. Things that just kind of put there. That's pulling you away from God and taking His place. And it's the thing that makes you feel good. No matter what it is, it's the lust of the flesh. That's the lust of the flesh. This, this tendency to have physical pleasure in a way that does not honor God. I was going to say the lust of the eyes doesn't look good. The lust of the eyes doesn't the temptation to find something visually appealing in a way that goes against God's standards. <laughs> Lots of words, I know. That sunrise, man, I find it visually appealing. But if I begin to worship the sun, that's a way that doesn't honor God. God made humans with certain innate desires. And so it's right for people to find each other attractive. But Jesus points out in his Gospels that if you lust after a woman, it's already adultery in the heart. The lust of the eyes. Does it look good? Our world highlights where our mind goes here, but it's much more. One theologian said that the desire of the eyes can be understood as the tendency to be captivated by the outward show of things without inquiring into their real values. Mm. Curiosity. This would be covetousness. The latest and greatest. The need for more. I need better cars. I need better houses. I need better fill in the blank. This idea of more, 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 more. This idea of what I see, I have to have. That's the culture we live in, right? I mean, we don't have commercials in our house. Thank Jesus for that. We, we pay for the things that have no commercials. Because I know during this time of year, there's lots of toy commercials out there, right? And they're, they're, what are they for? They're about making those children go, I want that. I need that. And they begin to beg. And they begin to, it's this idea of greed in all its forms. The lust of the eyes is, is this idea of greed. This idea of temporal pleasure without regard to the cost. How many relationships have you watched fall apart because someone looks for temporal pleasure without counting the cost? Truth of the matter is... Yes, the grass may be greener on the other side, but it might be greener because it's grown over the septic tank. That might be a place that you want to be. The truth of the matter is, it's, it's the lust of the eyes. It's that greed. It's that want for more. It's that need to have more. It's, it's all of those things. Whenever those things begin to overtake you, you can become at one track. Ever have one of those goals? Well, I've got to get to it, and suddenly things begin to take a back seat. Well, I got to get this done, so I'm going to dive. Back. I'm going to diverge all my giving to that for right now. All my excess is going to that for right now because I need to get there. Well, 
Do you need to get there? Or do you desire to get there? And where are you putting that in relation to God? Where is that at? The lust of the eyes. And then he goes on to say the pride of one's lifestyle. Does it make me look good? <laughs> the pride of life and its source is the temptation to put yourself first and others last. Does it make me look good? I'm number one. There's a, there's a movement out there, if you've ever seen it online, called I'm number two. The whole point is to, to get the focus off of you. And to put the focus on someone else that, that it isn't about you. The best example I have of one passage that really embodies all three of these is Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. Let me just turn over there and read those three verses. because I don't want to assume that we know it. Genesis chapter 3, the woman is in the garden and the serpent comes up and asks some questions. Did God really say that? That you couldn't eat from any tree? And the woman said, well, we can eat, but we can't eat at this tree. We can't even touch it or we'll die. And in verse 4 it says, no, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked so they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. The woman saw that it was good for food. A physical pleasure which in itself isn't bad, but that tree had been made off-limits by God. A physical pleasure off-limits by God. It was good for food, and it was delightful to look at. It looks good. And it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. It'll make me like God. It'll make me look good. All three. Right there, at the very first. Right there when all things fell apart. These three things that John talks about. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of one's lifestyle. Right there, Eve said, huh, it would be really good to eat this. And it's really pretty. And it'll make me like God. And so she did. And she gave some to her husband who was with her. That's a whole other sermon. But there it is. <laughs> You know, in each area of temptation here, the issue is the perversion of God-given desire into something ungodly. God gives us each of these. He gives us each of these. Physical pleasure is something that God has given us. There's a reason why Baptists like potluck meals. Right? We like to eat. Something to draw. I didn't get an amen there. <laughs> we like to eat. Because there's a physical pleasure that comes along with that. It's the fellowship. It's, it's the action of eating. It's all those things that go along with it. It's a God-given desire. I mean, if this was, if, if simply eating and the physical desire and the physical pleasure that came from eating was a sin, we wouldn't be having a meal today. It's a God-given desire. The problem happens when we take what's God-given and we pervert it into something that's ungodly. That's what it is. 
dealt with that when he talked about food that had been sacrificed to idols. Because for some people it was okay to eat, and for others it wasn't. Why? It's all about where their mind was and where their heart was. We can't allow these things to pervert what's going on. God gives us each one of these things, but sin and the world pervert them. They change them. They make them something they shouldn't be. You know, godly love and pursuits are eternally, says, but worldly lusts and desires will pass away. All these things, it looks good, it feels good, it makes me better. All of these things, it's going to pass away. It's not going to matter. Jesus put it this way over in Matthew 6, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Everything this world offers is going to pass away. It's going to go away. We trust sometimes in the wrong things. I had a conversation with a friend this week who talked about the, the, the insustainability of our current economy on the average person. He said the American dream has become unattainable. And my only thought was, maybe we need to change our dream from the American dream to the God of the <laughs> The sixth mark of an authentic Christian life is a life whose love is focused in the proper direction on the proper things and in the proper way that honors God. A love focused on the proper direction, on the proper things, and in the proper way that honors God. Are we chasing after this world's glory or are we chasing after God's glory? That's what we have to ask ourselves. This world wants to offer us lots of stuff. This world wants us to follow in, in ways that we never would have dreamed. <laughs> we watch shows on TV about people chasing their dreams, right? I mean, it started back a few years ago with American Idol, right? People who show up and they sing for the hope of becoming famous. Did you know famous people still die? Maybe I'll watch Friends. Chandler Bean died yesterday. Matthew Perry. He drowned. His money didn't save him. His fame didn't save him. He still has to stand before God. That's it. That's the truth. If we want to live an authentic Christian life, our love has to be focused in the proper direction, on the proper things, and in the proper way that honors God. 
Because it's so easy to do things the world's way. But it's sometimes harder to do things God's way. But that's the only way that matters. I heard it said this morning about Dr. James Merritt. I don't know if y'all watch Dr. James Merritt. I do. Oh, yeah, she do. You sit there with me and watch him. So, <laughs> made me lose my train of thought again. He said, yes, being a disciple will cost you. But not being a disciple will cost you infinitely more. I can't say it any better than that. Maybe this morning, You've been, you've been struggling because this world wants you to chase after things that seem to be opposed to the things of God. Or maybe they don't seem opposed. Maybe they seem godly, but you just feel overwhelmed and you're thinking, man, should I be doing this? Maybe it's time to take a step back and ask, why am I doing this? Maybe this morning you want to pray. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to start admissions. Or the ministry, maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe this morning, you've never known Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you've never taken a step to say, I want to know Him. I, I, want, I want to take that trip. I want to journey with Jesus through this life, knowing that, that He has my back and that I am His. It's easy. You walk the house and go to trial and know Jesus, and we'll go from there. But wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to Him. Let's pray. Father God, we come to You right now, and we thank You. We praise You for Your blessings. 